This week's episode of Pop Culture Reference is sponsored by S-Mart. Shop smart. Shop S-Mart. Broadcasting live from the same movie again, but better in only seven minutes, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Groovy Strother. <laughs> and I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Groovy Connolly. <laughs> I couldn't S-Mart think of my was own. Right there, Seamus. <laughs> S. Smart Connolly. S. Smart Connolly. Oh man, we're gonna really get into the whole S. Smart of it all later, because I know you haven't uh, seen Ash versus the Evil Dead, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the original three Evil Dead movies, e- two Evil Deads and an Army of Darkness, if you will. It- it's gonna be a lot to talk about. We've got we got three movies of madness. And it's going to be an especially wild episode this week because since we pre-recorded last week, there has been just a metric ton of news, plus we have two episodes of The Mandalorian to cover leading up to the season finale next week, so we really better get into it. Starting off with a few very notable artists that have passed uh, in our in our little hiatus with our pre-record here. Starting with Klaus Tuber, he is the creator, original, pioneer of modern tabletop games, uh, creator of Catan, a game I've actually never played, and I know that's like the biggest phenomenon of all time, and since we've been playing D&D for the last couple years, I've definitely wanted to get into that a little more. It is probably the most seminal, contemporary tabletop board game, not because it's the best or even the most influential, but I think it's the one that normal people that aren't super into board games, it's their access point to get into the wider scope of what board games can be beyond Monopoly and so- like Parker right, Brothers, yeah. basically. I mean, it's it's like such an interesting space of like, it's a weird kind of roleplay thing. You, you got a whole Sim City idea going on where you're trying to build out a little bit. I mean, really the only thing I know about is from 30 Rock where they where Jack plays the Catan. colonizers of Lamar. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. That's pretty much my idea of everything, but well, I'm sure that I'm very <laughs> skewed in what I'm actually expecting here. Well, sometime soon, Seamus, we're going to have to play and you can corner the wheat market just like Jack Donaghy. Yes, I will use a fire spell to create glass in the <laughs> desert. I'm sure that is nonsense to anybody <laughs> who's ever played Settlers of Catan. Uh, absolutely, it is. But up next in our little parade of of tributes to, to fallen artists, it's, it's we our have... in memoriam. It really is. Yeah, it's Al Jaffe, who is most known as the singular voice behind Mad Magazines who continued doing the fold-in. He was like 103 when he died, and I know that I need to look up if this actually happened. I saw a panel a number of years ago now where there were a few guys from Mad Magazine on there, and they talked about how, yeah, Al, he still comes into the offices, and he always drops off the fold-in all the time. And he's already made the one for when he dies. What? Oh, man. I, I would love to see what that is. That is the kind of the best sense of humor I've ever heard. That guy that guy was, was ready for it. So, pretty big legend. Mad Magazine definitely left an imprint on my young life, as I'm sure it did yours, Seamus. Yeah, I, I was kind of mentioning it to you before. It's like my older brother would get the magazines at like a 7-Eleven sometimes, and I would pick him up after he was done with it. And it, it was truly older brother 
kind of humor. It's kind of gross. It's kind of stupid and silly, but it was honestly the best. I, I mean, I still see it sometimes, and I think about picking one up. I, I, I remember we also had, like, the hardcover bathroom companion book. Oh, Mad- that is a funny book. And it was... I. It, is probably still in my parents' bathroom to this day. It, it is definitely the best. What? Me worry? Oh, absolutely classic. That guy is uh, horrifying. He's a deadite to me. He's so creepy. <laughs> you don't like Alfred E. Newman? <laughs> he is, he's freaky. He's like a he's like a slappy the living dummy. He's gonna like murder me at some point. <laughs> I do think that's kind of the point a little I mean, bit I of guess Alfred E. Newman. All all of Mad Magazine is truly pretty unsettling almost all of the time. So I mean, it, it clocks. Agreed. I think one of the biggest cultural legacies that we're going to be talking about here today is Norman Reynolds, who was an absolutely prolific production designer and art director on films like the original Star Wars trilogy, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first couple Superman movies with Christopher Reeve, Alien 3, Mission Impossible, Return to Oz, just a absolute trove of immaculate artwork in 20th century cinema. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the coolest designed movies I have ever seen to this day. It's incredible. And I mean, I know you are still stifling on Alien 3, if I'm not mistaken. I have not seen Alien 3. That is true. I've got your Blu-ray sitting on my shelf as it's been for like a year and a half. Well, hey, I've got your Superman over here, I think, so we're, we, we've kind of traded off here. I mean, I, I will just say one of the best parts of Alien 3 is how all of the, the setting looks. It is, everything is, like, wet constantly and, like, insanely brutal angles and dark tunnels. It, it's really, really well done in this disgusting prison that, that he was a major part of creating. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine working as somebody that high up in the design department on the original Star Wars trilogy and Uh, the amount of impact that that has had on pop culture as a whole. I mean, even to this day, there'll be a new Mandalorian episode or something, and there's, like, something that was in the set dressing in the background of the originals that is now, like, a regular part of the lore that he helped design it, it, it's incredible and kind of in the same vein as norman reynolds another person who passed on since we last recorded was cinematographer bill butler who shot classics like jaws grease francis ford coppola's the conversation a few rocky movies and the always underseen and underrated capricorn one I don't even know Capricorn 1, Garrett. I guess it's very underseen. Well, you should really check it out. It's usually on Amazon Prime. It's about a group of astronauts who are selected to go to Mars as the first guys to land on Mars. And then when they get to go on their mission, they're going to fake the Mars landing. NASA's decided to fake the Mars landing. That is awesome. I love that idea. That is super cool. So, worth a watch. is what, And it's gorgeously shot by Butler. I mean, he has such a great eye and is such a versatile cinematographer. I mean, Jaws and Grease look nothing alike, but they're both impeccably well shot. Jaws is just, like, one of, probably one of my favorite movies of all time, and it, like you were saying, it looks incredible. It's, it's shot beautifully in, in the water and out. It is, it is a marvel. 
that shot of Quint out on the pulpit with the gun straddling him at sunset, I think about that shot all the time. It's, I think about it probably once a week. Yeah, before you were you were even done with that sentence, I had the image in my head. It, that it is truly beautiful. Yeah. So a massive lineup of cultural titans here who had a massive influence on pop culture as a whole from all different sectors of gaming and humor and cinematography and art design, but all coming together to create really seminal works. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is major losses all around, but they had nothing if not massive cultural influence, probably for the rest of, of the different sectors that they were legends in. But we've got a mountain of other news to get to, so let's go ahead and and keep moving right along, Seamus. We cannot dwell today. This is this next one's a bit of a surprise to me. The Marvels trailer dropped, and it makes me kind of into a Marvel movie. Like, is that crazy to say? I'm so... We talk about it endlessly here. I am so done with Marvel stuff, but now I'm, like, kind of ready to watch Miss Marvel, a show I completely didn't even look twice at, but it, it looks like it's going to be a really fun movie. That's my big takeaway from this trailer, is that Amon Vellani looks hilarious, and Miss Marvel is a show I didn't really have any interest in that was definitely after I fell off all of these Disney Plus shows. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm into it. I think it looks really fun. I mean, you know I like Brie Larson, even though I don't think that character is particularly interesting. I do think it's going to be really weird that we're doing a tentpole superhero film where your homework, you have to have watched two <laughs> Disney Plus shows to understand what's going on at all. And granted, I feel like, you know, I still, I stand by WandaVision as one of the better shows that were, were put out there. And I like Monica Rambeau as a sure. as a character a lot, too. And I, I'm excited to see more of her weird powers. But it is a lot coming together here. It's it's not like a like an end game where you kind of just had to pluck along with the movies for, for however many years to get caught up. It, it is really homework, like you said. But, like you, I am very surprised that this tone looks interesting and fun and appealing to me in an era where, I mean, I'm not interested in any Marvel outside of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Mm. and we have not covered a Marvel trailer on this show in probably years. Probably since, like, the Loki era, maybe? Maybe, yeah. But yeah, I I think maybe I'll finally get caught up with the stuff I've just fully never wanted to see, because... I don't know. I'm 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 into the tone just as just as well as you are. I'm I'm assuming the Nick Fury stuff is going to tie in with Secret Invasion too, which is I'm on the That's fence about right now. What I was wondering, I'm like, do you think that is this a situation where we know Nick Fury is making it through Secret Invasion because this is set like I don't know where this is set in the timeline. Yeah, I'm I'm. I have no idea. I I can only imagine it's fake Nick Fury and he it's going to be a scroll reveal at the end that'll lead right into maybe two Nick Furies on screen for an after credits thing. It'll be interesting to see, especially because I don't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Little to no pressure for this movie to be good because if it's bad, I'm I, you know, continue to not care, but I don't know. I if if it's at least as good as like Multiverse of Madness, which was probably the last mainline movie thing I cared about, then then I'm there for it. Speaking of Disney holding down the gas pedal on franchises <laughs> that have nothing left in the tank, 
Star Wars celebration was last weekend, and you know how I feel about that, which is oh, good, yes. even though I shouldn't. Well, we actually, I mean, the Ahsoka trailer alone was kind of enough for me to get insanely hyped about some of the stuff that's coming up. Yeah, Ahsoka coming in August, which is earlier than I expected it to be happening. It's Ahsoka colon the Re- Rebels continuation is what that trailer looked like to me. I mean, seeing Chopper in live action is obviously very exciting, and then Hera and Sabine in this trailer remind us what Star Wars is truly about, which is people wearing cool jackets. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I, I know they're going to get Zeb up in there now that we have had a little tease of that in The Mandalorian as of the last couple weeks, so I'm very excited. I, I'm afraid to say that the part of this show that looks by far the least interesting to me is Ahsoka. I don't really care about what's yeah. going on with Ahsoka at this point in the timeline. I love Ahsoka as a character. I think she's great on Rebels, but I don't know. Even though I think Rosario Dawson has done a good job bringing that character to screen in The Mandalorian Season 2 in The Book of Boba Fett, two things I famously love, um, I just, I'm not sure. I think that she's kind of boring right now, and I think Filoni doesn't have the guts to actually give her real stakes in this part of the universe. I don't know. I'm excited to see Thrawn and Ezra and... I wish this show looked a little bit better, too. I think looking side by side... Because there's a scene in the trailer that is directly from the Rebels finale. And looking at those side by side and how gray and washed out (laughs) and and grounded in live action that scene feels compared to how it looks in the Rebels finale, I'm kind of underwhelmed. Well, I am still pretty optimistic about what i'm seeing i i can understand it's gonna be a weird transition no matter what i feel like but it's it's about the character tone if they can nail that down and really give us rebels folk what we need right now i think that ahsoka might not even have to be the most interesting part of the ahsoka show anyway you know i i think the the most interesting parts of the book of boba fett weren't boba fett you know i mean there 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 are ways that they are slipping in a better show within shows that are maybe fine that i i'm i'll take what i can in that kind of format that they've been using for like the mandalorian book of boba fett things like that which is why i'm going back to i just wish we were doing an animated rebels yeah season five you know like rebels reborn i think was my pitch whenever we talked about oh this yeah last. Uh, if only i i i, I don't know they're, they're they've got all their eggs in the bad batch basket i think oh i guess that show's wrapping up too now i don't know where they're going in the animated sector besides like more visions which they also announced yeah, probably more Tales of the Jedi, stuff like that. I am sad to hear Bad Batch is ending. I'm I'm most of the way through season two now, and things are heating up, Seamus. You better Ooh, get on that. I really I really have to. But over in the Star Wars movie realm, we're 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 ta- what what could we like more than <laughs> taking the things that we're not super wild about on TV and putting them into a Dave Filoni directed movie that is gonna tie up the Mando and Ahsoka storylines and is probably the only of the three movies announced that will actually come out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the truth. They're come out roughly on time, at least. I mean, I've I've also heard that this wrap-up movie is still, like, five or six years out, which is, you know, I guess that makes sense, but... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Do you you think this is going to be a theatrical movie? I just don't... Oh, yeah, I I I guess I assumed. I don't think you could have... I don't think there's an audience 
for like if imagine if Ahsoka showed up in episode nine, how confused mainstream oh audience, yeah or even in something like Sol like the fact that audiences were so confused when Maul showed up at the end of Solo. Imagine how confused <laughs> oh they God. would be if they went to see the Mandalorian movie and they're like, what is all like who is Hera Syndulla and why do I care? Why was there a big dramatic music swell when this green chick showed up? What the hell? Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I for whatever reason, assumed it would be theatrical, but I guess it makes com- way more sense that it would be a Disney Plus drop. I, I would go see it in a theater. I mean, we would yeah. be there day one for sure. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But if anything, Seamus, you they... and I are cursed to carry <laughs> Star Wars forever, though. Uh, that, is, that is our lot in life. Uh, just imagine six years down the line with however many more seasons of Ahsoka and Mando under our belts. How done we're going to be with like, all right, let's go stand in line for our movie tickets for The Mandalorian the movie. Interestingly, the other two movies here, I wish were happening in 10 years and I am interested in them and I don't understand why they're doing some, them so soon. I mean, I do because money is the answer of to course, that question. always. Because Daisy Ridley is back as Rey in a film set 15 years after the events of The Rise of Skywalker about Rey founding a new Jedi Order. And then at the opposite end of the timeline, James Mangold will be making a film set thousands of years before The High Republic and The Skywalker Saga that's something of a biblical origin of the Jedi and the Force. I I mean, I love the idea of whatever a biblical film about the origin origins of the Jedi really means cuz that again we're always looking for the the mystery of the force the magic of the force being like the anchor of what the Jedi are and it gets lost a lot of the times in the new in the new stuff here so i think that would be an incredibly interesting thing to really reel it all the way back and on the other hand, the Daisy Ridley comeback is more of a surprise than anything to me. And I, I guess I'm praying to God that they kind of follow through on some things that were massive things that were left undone by the end of episode nine. Like, let's if, if this new D- Daisy Ridley project means that we'll finally give some respect to John Boyega and give him a damn lightsaber and like follow through on all of the little breadcrumbs of maybe he's force sensitive and maybe a student in the future. I I'm there for it. Even if I do not really like two thirds of the sequel trilogy. Yeah. It'll be a very interesting thing to see why, why if they're sitting at 15 years after rise of Skywalker, why are they doing it now? It's confounding uh, to me. Yeah. I, because I remember when they wrapped up, or when they were wrapping up Episode Nine stuff, when it was coming out, they were like, this is the end of these characters, and we're not doing any more, like, numbered things about the Skywalkers, and I, I doubt this is going to be, like, Episode Ten or whatever. No. But, but it basically is, it, it's basically, it sounds like to me, Episode Nine redone or rewrapped or you episode know. 9.5 where they yeah. give it like maybe a real ending for the characters that we care about I, I i don't know i there's a million ways for this to go absolutely wrong and probably only like a handful of ways for it to redeem a lot of the stuff that people have problems with the last thing i'll say and then we gotta move on to to whatever our next piece of news might be i feel like what they're trying to do right now and we'll get into this in Mando Bros, is kind of do for the sequels what the Clone Wars did for the prequels, 
with these new mm. live-action shows that are set between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, where they're planting a lot of seeds about things that don't make sense when you take the sequels at face value. Mm-hmm. And based on that kind of analogy, I feel like this could be the rebels of it, where you're taking things that should have gotten wrapped up by the prequels and the Clone Wars and did but they didn't really get wrapped up and then rebels is going okay we're going to we're going to actually put some of these storylines to bed and i think that this could be that if it's good and i hope it's good i mean i will give it all of my benefit of the doubt here you know i i tried to do that with all the sequel stuff anyway and I'm just, I'm hoping they hear, they heard all of the outcry of what people had problems with and that they they put a little respect on it. Like you were saying, kind of like how the supplementary shows do retroactively put the respect on something like the prequels. Shamus, you know what I bet you haven't heard in a while? Is it about to blast my ears, Garrett? I don't know. Warning! Oh, gee, oh, God, I haven't had this bit in so long. Oh, God. Uh, and what a warner warning <laughs> it is. There's so much to unpack here because they had a big HBO Max Discovery Plus kind of like a showcase where they announced officially with details that the new HBO Max Discovery Plus merge streaming service is going to be titled Just Max. Subtitle The Place for HBO, which is is That's insane. <laughs> That's so funny. That will be unveiling on May 23rd with three price tiers. One in high definition 1080p with ads for $10 a month. One that is ad free in HD 1080p for $15.99 a month. And finally, the ultimate ad free 4K. You get four instead of two simultaneous streams and all the other goodies. Ultimate ad free $19.99 a month for Max. This will be replacing the HBO Max existing app, while Discovery Plus will continue to be its own service and not be impacted by these changes. Oh my goodness. How many years have we been tracking just the evolution of the HBO streaming service that that we're going to subscribe to at the highest tier, probably? Uh, It's almost time to do another pop culture reference. I remember when Max launched, and we were like, go now, HBO, HBO. Max, it's it's all mood. Okay, we're all we're we're they're streamlining it, and now no no more streamlining because Max is the place for HBO. And there was a direct quote that was essentially like HBO is associated with only the highest quality television, <laughs> and we want to make it clear that we don't only have good stuff. We also have other things that you might want to watch. That's so weird. <laughs> uh, so bad stuff, but and. And, and in the spirit of bad stuff, Seamus, what if what if there were to be a seven-season remake of the Harry Potter <laughs> saga where they are keeping the same music, the same castle design, the same logo, and going to make no demonstrable changes to the actual world-building or tone because that would not cohese with the theme park 
franchise uh, <laughs> empire that they have already sunk millions and millions and millions of dollars into. So it's essentially just going to be a Disney live action remake of a thing that's already live action and perfectly ser- serviceable and very modern looking even by today's standards. I, I That's a lot to take in right there, Garrett, but those are uh, so many extra stupid details about this Harry Potter series that I did not know about. And... <laughs> Oh my god. I it make it makes so little sense to me. It's going to be so long and it's going to drop I can only imagine it's going to drop off nearly instantly after the gimmick of hey, it's a show version. Now, check it out. It's it's going to be it's going to be boring within the first season cuz those like you said, those movies are still pretty fun. You go back and you see little baby Daniel Radcliffe doing his thing and your little baby Rupert Grant going bloody hell you, you love it but now they're just gonna it, I don't know it's so strange there's already so much drama around the Harry Potter IP that is just gonna be elongated for however many years it takes for them to churn this show out it's bizarre and ignoring the JK Rowling Hogwarts legacy fantastic <laughs> beasts of it all why on earth would you not just do, hey, it's another adventure set at Hogwarts with kids that are not the Harry Potter? Like, you could be doing a TV show about young James Potter and Sirius Black and the Marauder's sure. Map and that, that would stuff. Be kind of awesome, actually. I would be in for that. You could do something, you could do a Hogwarts legacy where you're like, we're going to go like 300 years ago to Hogwarts and do a completely different yeah. whole mystery thing that doesn't have to do with mainline Harry Potter and you know like you could high republic it there's so many different ways that you could go and their decision was nah let's just remake the thing that everybody already likes again ah so lazy and boring like I I cannot express enough that one of the coolest parts of the Harry Potter world the tri-wizard tournament gets no love they could have done a whole sports TV show where it's like major league try wizard tournament wizard stuff or a Quidditch show god I, I was, anything I was about to say what if you just did Ted Lasso but with Quidditch but with Quidditch just exactly that would be You've kind got of a awesome mu- a muggle coach has to Yo, that's coach awesome. that's the great. Quidditch team we, we are making a thousand better ideas than what this show is going to turn out to be I just think it's going to be boring there's no w- well, reason not, I, don't, I have no intention of watching the, if I wouldn't watch Harry Potter I'm gonna watch just watch Harry Potter <laughs> I mean I want I like many things that I already hate just hearing about it I want to watch it out of just pure curiosity I want to see you know even the casting of what that show is gonna be like might be enough to confuse me into starting it at some point but I mean uh, like you're saying Timothy I, Chalamet Snape you ready for that <laughs> honestly if he can hit the voice that'd be pretty funny I'm into it um well the stock market is not into <laughs> yeah. it because HBO, Warner Brothers Discovery stock, I should say, dropped a whopping 6% the day of the Max presentation. And I really hope between this and the whole Attorney General maybe investigating Warner Brothers Discovery for corporate malpractice, yeah. they might reevaluate some things and <laughs> not go this direction. I don't think that's going to happen, but, you know, we can keep our little fingies crossed. I mean, hey, if they're, if they're not going to listen to the consumers of their services at all over the last however many years we've been covering this. I mean, their stock is dropping. That's the bottom line of every single poor decision that we've witnessed for our Warner warnings here, pretty much. So, if anything, it might actually get them to take a look. That is... 
even a, even a coin flip is better than the chances we had up until now, pretty much. Rest assured, Seamus, your eardrums are not safe <laughs> for the foreseeable future. But uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to our main segment to the Evil Dead trilogy. Groovy, let's do it. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 Dead by Dawn, and finally, Army of Darkness. The wildest trilogy of movies I have maybe ever seen. I, I've, I've definitely seen The Evil Dead, the OG, a million times, and rewatching The Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness was a roller coaster for this for this episode if I'm being honest I I watched them all back to back pretty much for this episode and it's a tonal whiplash content whiplash Ash Williams is three different characters basically (laughs) in these movies it's it's kind of the best but boy did it confuse me as a kid when I was watching these movies well that's the funny thing about about Ash is that in the first movie he's not a character in the second movie, he's Bugs Bunny, <laughs> and in the third movie, he is an actual, real, developed character with who's maybe Elvis Presley. I don't know. We'll get into that when we get to Army of Darkness. But yeah, I I know you have never seen Army of Darkness until now. Do, do you have any general thoughts uh, for this weird cap on this trilogy? Well, I love. We've talked at length before, especially during our. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness episode, Mm -hmm. that we are Raimi boys. I love Sam Raimi. I can't really believe that I never got to Army of Darkness before now because I'm a big fan of the first two Evil Dead movies, even though they are very different movies from each other. (laughs) And Army of Darkness is just as different from them as they are from each other, if not more so, because... It is not what I was expecting at all somehow, (laughs) which is very weird because you would think that somebody with as much exposure to the concepts of Army of Darkness, obviously I know about this is my boomstick and and a lot of the more iconic moments in that film. It's kind of crazy to me that I didn't realize how much of a straight comedy that movie (laughs) was going to be with really very... You know, I've always thought it was stupid that that movie wasn't called Medieval Dead like... Sam Raimi originally wanted it to be called, and now I'm like, no, that movie's not Medieval Dead. That movie is Army of Darkness. Medieval <laughs> Dead would be a, a promise for a movie that that, that is not, and yes. its title is better because it's not Medieval Dead, which is a shame because I like the I like the title Medieval Dead a lot. I mean, it's a great time, and I mean, even rewatching Army of Darkness, it's weirdly like a it's Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness in the opening yep. crawl, which is strange. So, I mean, I think we're gonna have to wait to call spoilers on more specifics, but overall, I'm a big fan of this trilogy. I'm very interested to see Evil Dead Rise, which is the entire reason that we are covering this trilogy right now, which appears to have a lot more in common with something like the original The Evil Dead or even the Evil Dead remake that came out maybe 10 years ago. But apparently it's in, I have no idea what kind of relevance this holds to the story or the world, Mm -hmm. but apparently it's in the continuity of these first three. So that'll be an interesting thing to look for Easter eggs. Maybe there's an S-smart or something. Oh, there's gotta be. Uh, I I mean, you, you also have not had much exposure to Ash versus the 
Evil Dead either. That is true, yes. So, yeah, I I mean, between what I've seen of that show and these three movies, I never saw the 2013 remake. It's supposed to be really scary. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm into that. That's all I hear about it. But continuity is such a funny idea with this franchise. <laughs> you know, agree. it's like every subsequent installment of The Adventures of Ashley Williams takes so much from the previous but asks you to basically throw it all out anyway and even even in like we were talking the other day about how the the army of darkness is sometimes even thrown out completely in the continuity of like ash versus the evil dead or the remakes or, or something like that but it's still like all like very very specifically referencing things that are maybe struck from the record anyway it's it's so wild and bizarre i love that it's so confusing and strange and i i kind of want to maybe watch that 2013 one with you at some point so we can you know chatter like hug each other when it gets to <laughs> when the fire hydrant of blood comes out of someone's mouth at some point i was gonna say if you let me literally hide behind you on the couch Seamus, <laughs> i am completely down to do that oh my goodness i'd like to see it and Raimi and campbell were producers on that one i think as they are in the new one so yes i, I do know that they were and i there are plenty of easter eggs is that that's the only other thing i know about it what else i could say non-spoilery wise but i mean we've i can't express enough the tonal dissonance between even the first two movies the first movie is scary it is a straight horror movie it is disgusting to see it's a lot funnier than i remember it being we'll get into that a little bit of spoilers (laughs) like there were parts where i laughed out loud which i did not remember in my previous viewings of the evil dead finding it very humorous there there are a couple really good spots where where you get to laugh but it, it also seems like in that first one that some of those might just be the low budget directorial <sighs> debut of it all and it's like it's maybe just kind of on the day that's what they had for the shot and that's why it's kind of funny and out of place a little bit my roommate was walking through when i was watching the first one and she was like this looks like a, a student film and i was like it basically <laughs> it is. is it is oh the sam raimi was 19 i think when he oh made my that God. movie which is crazy i mean good for him i was gonna say for that young that is it's a classic to this day like i said that's the one i've seen over and over again and i will always come back to it it is one of my classic favorites but now that i've revisited the the other ones the evil dead 2 is one of the best movies i have ever seen it is so genuinely fun to watch i don't mean to be hyperbolic but i think evil dead 2 might be one of the best movies ever made it's incredible you don't even i don't even take that as hyperbole that is it's so expertly done it is the true true evolution of it it's like we got to see the rough draft and then it's perfected in the sequel it's it's perfect sam raimi man he knows what he's doing he knows what he's doing and he's an absolute madman about everything that he does and and that's why these movies are never gonna go out of style but should we go ahead and call spoilers so we can get into the bloody (laughs) nitty-gritty of it all i would love to this is the official spoiler curtain here the evil dead like i i cannot sing its praises enough it is foul it is disgusting to see it is some of my favorite practical gore effects of all time. It is 
better than any of the other ones if it, with however much technical special effects advancement that they put on the monsters and the sequels. The first one is so gross. That pencil going to that ankle oh. is one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen in any movie ever. It's so rough, man. It is genuinely... That, that specifically is the worst. It's all the stuff where it's like you're seeing skin just like melt it's it's the it's the worst it's kind of aware of jokiness mm-hmm. in a way that evil dead 2 is much more self-aware but they do little things like the cut to the blender that's all red like oh, yeah. blood before anything starts right before anything starts going wrong in the movie and things like like there are little moments of self-awareness before it really starts to horrify you yeah it's very it's a i i didn't realize how much of a slow burn that first one was i mean they love he takes such beautiful time zooming in on like clocks and windows and doors and it's it's such any other kind of way to shoot that without a hundred thousand dutch angles and close-ups i mean there are plenty of dutch angles don't get me wrong no i'm I'm saying like that's that's the point if it was shot any other way i might get a little bored of how long they take to get to how insane it then eventually turns into but i just love how much time they take They've got that really good shot of the girl sitting in the rocking chair with the pendulum from the clock going in front of her. That has some great atmosphere, just an impending sense of doom as you know those deadites are coming. But the beginning is also where a lot of the comedy is. Ash's terrible direction giving cracks me (laughs) up. I also love him honking and the two fishermen waving and him telling them to go to hell. (laughs) Not you. Uh, Yeah, that was very funny. I didn't remember how funny and terrible Scotty was. Like, at the beginning, I was like, why isn't this franchise Ash and Scotty? And then he's like, let's just leave your girlfriend and lead, like, escape ourselves. He's such a jerk the whole movie, and I, I kind of love it. Did you remember how much Scotty looks like Norm McDonald? Because Dude, I did not. I thought the exact same thing, and I did not remember that at all. Oh, man. His, Scotty's deadite form is one of the grosser. Like, he has some of the best melted Absolutely. face flesh thing going going on even though he gets not as much time as some of the other other deadites up in here well but do you even need more screen time when bruce campbell puts his entire thumb into your eye socket both eye sockets mind you he really squishes them squishes them boys oh jesus i want to ask you something and maybe this is gonna accidentally propel us into other other films that we haven't started talking about (laughs) really yet but i asked you a question yesterday to think about it and i and i want you to come back back with me what to you when you think of evil dead as a franchise is the iconic evil dead image I was thinking about this since you asked me the other day, and I I feel like my mind always goes to, it's a close-up Dutch angle on Bruce Campbell's face being sprayed with blood while he's screaming on the floor. Is that what you're thinking of? No, but that's a pretty good one. That one, I I, I always get, wait, what what, what are you thinking of? Maybe that's that's also gonna spring into my mind. I think mine is because I, it was the first glimpse of any Evil Dead that I ever knowingly saw, and it stuck with me, is the image of the chained up cellar opening and that evil white deadite face oh. just looking out and taunting you. I used to have nightmares about that image off of like a 10 second clip I saw on TV once. Dude, I mean, that is that is truly, that is like 
that's a that's a one green square on framed if I see that cellar door. You know what I mean? Like that is the that is truly the most iconic. Ah, oh, that cellar door. I wish they did more with it in the second one. I, yeah, I, they I really lo- don't do anything with it in the second one. I was trying to remember what happened with it, but Ash cuts it open and kicks it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. They, they they don't milk it as much as they do in the first one, and it's so good in the first one. Watching as he he's burying his girlfriend, I think, after he knocks her head off, and it keeps cutting back to the cellar door, like, slowly being jammed open, like the rusty nails mm-hmm. being pried out of the wood. Oh, it's the, it's the best. I also love the extent extended pov of the deadeye looking around from the cellar door and all of the ash and scotty and everybody Mm. else just slowly freaking out before the reveal before you even get to the iconic shot i was talking about earlier of showing her just a little bit in shadow and it being unnerving and unsettling and you're trying to figure out what she actually looks like that's freaking out them so much what happened to her eyes oh man it is so iconic horror it is like probably genuine it's like halloween the evil dead and nightmare on elm street maybe in terms of like classic horror out there is top three for sure i think a big part of the reason that this movie is as scary as it is and not more this is really dumb and campy is the sound design not only of the deadites which are oh my god horrifying the wailing the the like weird triple harmonic screaming is is so unsettling but even the ambience of things that make sounds that shouldn't make sound that make the environment feel alive the evil feel alive like there's a scene where the camera is looking down it's going over rafters and every time it passes a rafter it goes oh yeah like it's like it's a physical thing and that is super unsettling yeah you want to read you want to jump over now that we've kind of hit a lot of the low budget charm (laughs) of the evil dead and talk about how that is translated in evil dead 2 i yes i feel like it is it is very necessary to talk that out we referenced it in our intro the the recap that is done for the first evil dead movie in like less than 10 minutes in the sequel is it's bonkers it's it's it should be illegal in cinema it made no sense to me as a kid before i understood what the hell was going on uh, when i when i got like a dvd of it from the record store and i i popped it and i was like why did he come back to this cabin he had a horrible time the first <laughs> time he was here he brought another girlfriend to this cabin what the hell i do love that linda is a different actor in every movie that is really <laughs> yeah. funny to me that we see the same thing happen three times with three different lindas but she's always got that university of michigan sweater on that's how you know it's linda and you know why the evil dead 2 begins with a remake essentially of evil dead 1 i actually don't know why he did that they couldn't get the rights to use old footage from the first one so they went back and reshot it wild that's crazy i mean is it it's not to the detriment of that movie i feel like it's so again it's so weird and noticeable and strange that it it fits right in with the rest of the weird noticeable strange things that happen in the evil dead 2 especially because this second one is such a cartoon that trying to go back and fit tonally the clips from the first one in 
it would feel so dissonant. It would yeah. feel so weird. Definitely. Even uh, like I was talking about the the creature design, the deadite design of the first one versus the the second one is so different that it would just it would just feel weird. I do have to say, I think that iconic one of the greatest ending shots of all time from the first Evil Dead. It it is much more effective at the end of the first movie than the reshoot is at the seven minute mark of this one. For sure. I mean, the first movie ends in like complete dread. You know, at least they they do little cliffhanger dudes at the end of both of these sequels actually but it's it does like you're saying the tone is just different you don't get the same kind of oomph after the long horrible night that ash has in that first one that it like doesn't matter and he's still captured by the evil in these woods and you have to have such a weird pre-knowledge of the the movie that they completely throw out the story for pretty much that they're relying on they're leaning on that kind of reaction you had to the original movie's ending which is way way more powerful and i don't know if i said this already but even though technically you get to the point where the first movie ends at the seven minute mark of evil dead 2 you do have a lot of beats that kind of come back and are recycled later in this film especially once other people get to the cabin with Mm -hmm. ash it's like the the tree scene which i was gonna say (laughs) i think is we didn't talk about it during the first one horrific and bad and should not be in that movie one of the most upsetting things i can remember about this franchise it is it is something that i was thinking about skipping if i'm being honest i think about skipping it every time i watch that first one and he really shaped up you know he kind of makes you think for a second in the in the evil dead 2 that it's going to go the same route but i highly prefer her just getting absolutely skull crushed on a giant tree i think that is that is just as horrific as it needs to be i don't need her to be violated by the woods i agree and raimi has come out and said that he wishes he had never done that scene and i think there are even reports that maybe the financers or a producer wanted it to be more explicitly violating and that raimi didn't really want to do i don't think raimi has said that explicitly but he said that he wishes that weren't in the movie and and i appreciate his it's kind of an apology in the form of this this sequel remake where he's like see i I know that I should have done it this way the first time, and so I'm going to take those steps to make it better. And again, that's my feeling about the entire second movie, basically. We saw the first draft, we saw the student film version, and then he had five years to refine what he wanted that story to be, and then we get super Chad Ashley Williams in this one, who's just like the smoothest man of all time. Not to mention how flashy the camera work is. Like, even Linda's head rolling into the camera and then it going black for a frame and then the shovel coming out from from mm. the camera as he buries her. Yeah, it's it's a complete evolution. I did I love it. I love it so much. And I mean, the practical effects, again, I was mentioning, I, I appreciate the creature design being so grotesque in the first one, but if we're talking comedy here, the Pee-wee's Playhouse sequence with all of the like laughing inanimate objects, I straight up laughed out loud when he was like, he did the bit with the lamp where he was squatting with it and they both stopped at the same time (laughs) yeah they were best friends him in that lamp that was the funniest thing i have ever seen but all of the 
special effects in the world can't come close to Bruce Campbell's hand acting. Oh my god. Incredible. He's dragging himself around believably with one hand. It is it is great. It's it really truly feels like that hand is a completely different entity that happens to be connected to his body and uh, to the point that I have a hard time believing that it's just acting. If that makes any kind of sense, like there has to be some kind of greater special effect going on there. Even though there isn't, it's just Campbell's <laughs> own abilities as a physical actor because this movie for a lot of it is and not to say that the sound design is not extremely important to the Evil Dead films as we mentioned with the first one, but in a lot of ways it has the visual grammar of a silent film because Ash spends so much of this movie not talking alone in a single location doing physical comedy bits. Yeah, he's like front flips and falling down cellar stairs, like getting thrown down cellar stairs <laughs> like a rag doll. He looks great. I mean, he, he is doing masterwork here physically and I, I was watching that whole hand scene and I, I thought that he must have gone to some kind of like mime college or some some kind of higher education in how to do something like that because otherwise it could be like a Swedish chef style, like someone else's arm is in his sleeve somehow, it almost felt like. Yeah, I completely agree. It is crazy. It is crazy. It's, Evil Dead 2 is so good, Shane. <laughs> he's acting his life out in that movie, too. Just like he's got his sad moments about Linda, and he's got his angry moments when the the, uh, the rest of the gang shows up to the cabin. He, he's giving it his all. Right down to the, like, screams, man. His screams are legendary in this. Down to Linda's ugly, ugly necklace that is a holdover <laughs> from the first movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's something I want to talk about now that we've got into the prime Evil Dead. The rules make no sense. And that's maybe part of the charm of the Deadites is that they're so evil that they can't get a hold on what the rules actually mean. But Ash can, like, change back into a regular guy kind of just on his own free will or, like, when he sees the necklace. Yeah. And, like, other people change back as a trick and then they are actually Deadites the whole time or they're dormant inside them for a minute but he just kind of gets to walk out of it a little bit because he's the main character and, and all that it's also unclear if you have to because at first it seems like you have to die to become a deadite but some of the characters just get possessed by the evil what is is it just that you have a higher tolerance are you stronger against the evil or is the evil just picking who's going to be the most manipulative it, to me in the first one at least it was pretty much every single person that turned it was just like you have to be physically harmed even by like with an object like the pencil or the yep. tree branches in in the other guy and yeah it's, it's I don't know it's very it's very confusing into if you want to like try to boil down the rules of the Necronomicon and like the weird language about defeating the evil it's the sunlight is maybe a factor even though so much of the army of darkness is in the daytime and and all of that it's it's very weird well it's cool that Raimi is basically just whatever it takes for this sequence to happen, that's what the yeah, rules yeah. are going to be for the sequence. And I kind of wish Ash didn't turn into a Deadite the second time. I'm cool with him dying the first time. Because, and then the sunlight bringing him back, that all makes sense to me. But, yeah, the Linda necklace thing is a little bit weak, especially because I don't care about Ash. I don't care about <laughs> Ash as a character. I don't care about Ash's relationship uh. with 
Linda. I care about Ash as a Looney Tune in a house that is alive and evil <laughs> and trying to kill him. Bruce Campbell is who you care about. It's the, it, he, Ash is just charisma in a flannel, just trying to stay alive in there. <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of what carries over to my interest in the Army of Darkness, too. Is like I don't care about Ash really even there, where, where he should be the most fascinating as a, as a man out of time. It's also the one where he's given the most backstory and the most like attempt at a character arc and I will say there are elements of Army of Darkness that expand on seeds planted in especially Evil Dead 2 Mm. because you know he's got a couple of quips in Evil Dead 2 he's got Swallow This he obviously has the most iconic Groovy Groovy baby oh I love it when he gets his chainsaw hand, which we haven't even talked <laughs> about somehow. The chainsaw hand, there's too little chainsaw hand. It needs to be start to finish chainsaw hand. <laughs> and we did not get that. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I think it's I think it's Army of Darkness time, which I was is going to say we need to talk about the prophecy that comes through. <laughs> Just a last point about the Evil Dead 2 to bring us into the Army of Darkness. Everyone always talks about how Army of Darkness is so wacky and wild compared to everything else, but they're leaning into it fully by the time you're into the Evil Dead 2. So it it, it did not shock me as much watching them back-to-back this time about how weird it gets. I think the difference is that essentially Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, like I said to you earlier are like Muppet versions of movies where Bruce Campbell is a cartoon (laughs) and we're going to drop him into a genre. In Evil Dead 2, that genre is what if we made Evil Dead 1 a cartoon? In Army of Darkness, that's what if we dropped him into a fantasy movie, which is, I think, a fascinating direction to go with that as opposed to... I mean, they do kind of have their cake and eat it too because not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but for the vast majority of this movie, it's a pretty straight fantasy movie and then they're able to pull you back a little bit and get you a little bit by being like hey but remember this is also an evil dead movie so you have the whole arc where ash is falling in love with the with the medieval maiden (laughs) and they have their very you know their courtly love kind of trite cliche romance and then of course she gets captured by the evil which of course she does because that's how these things go she's a damsel in distress but then they go but this is an evil dead movie so she's gonna die and she's gonna turn into a deadite and she's gonna be one of the bad guys and i think that that is such a great payoff to Raimi being like i didn't forget what sequel we're making mm. here all the way you know even if it is a very different choice yeah that that little holdover it, you gotta have something when the rest of the deadites are like spy kids two style stop motion skeletons <laughs> because that is not what i want in a deadite they're funny they're like they're <gasps> basically battle droids from the clone wars where they're just like making funny commentary to each other i but, do i i love the skeletons <laughs> I, i'm not gonna lie to you Seamus. i mean I, they're fun sure i want more of the gross you know yeah, I mean, they're not scary, and they don't do the thing other than barely a little bit with his girlfriend, who is also Miss Honey from Matilda. Oh, that's why I recognized her. That is so weird. But they do a little bit of it with his girlfriend, but the thing that I think to me makes the Deadite stand out against any kind of zombie or or other supernatural creature is that they take their knowledge of who this person used to be and they really weaponize it to Mm -hmm. torture you it's just much about the psychological torture of watching your 
decapitated, decomposing girlfriend do a do a weird stop motion oh, dance with her head. That will haunt me forever, if I'm being honest. It's just as much about that as it is about trying to kill the living. I like that that is part of it. And so, yeah, I agree. The skeletons are not as interesting in that capacity, but they're just, they're hilarious. They're really and I funny. love them. <laughs> Now that you made that point, though, about, like, the insanity that they're trying to cause, maybe that is more part of the rules of, like, who turns and who doesn't. Ash, in basically all three of these movies, has moments where he's like, I'm going crazy, and I'm going to look into a mirror to try to ground myself. He really does not have a lot of luck with mirrors in these movies. But No, he really doesn't. Because... Every time. He... <laughs> that first, the first one where he, the mirror is water, and he just flips out is hilarious. I love that so much. And that's, a, that's just such a great visual image that you're not expecting to happen. It's a truly just a great horror haunted house image. Absolutely. It, it, it is great. And I guess it, it is that mental torment that they're probably going for. We got to break these people physically and mentally. The, you know, the, the girls are always getting attacked and then freaking out and running into the woods. And then that's where they get got because they're already like they're resigned to losing their mind and they're already hurt and all that kind of stuff. So maybe Ash just is physically and mentally more capable of fighting it off. I guess he chops off his own arm and barely flinches. So he's pretty strong yeah a farewell to arms Seamus. <laughs> that is a really it made me laugh garrett that's real dumb but it really did make me laugh yeah i agree i want i want to go back to the skeletons for one second oh yeah because i don't know if you thought this when you were watching it but the skeletons kind of do the apple dumpling gang ladder bit with the battering ram <laughs> and the and the and the port color or not the port color it's the drawbridge thing that they do do they i didn't recognize any <laughs> Any apple dumpling shenanigans? There's just a lot of, like, the classic image of one skeleton walks on and then the bridge comes through and then the other skeletons <laughs> at the yeah, back end yeah. and things like, and, like, kind of flipping over each other that and stuff true. like that. Oh, those skeletons were all shenanigans. They that That is very true. By the end of this one, I do I did appreciate yet another cliffhanger, but I was, as a kid at least, again, watching these fairly younger, I always had a dream about, you know, they did medieval Ash, let's get post-apocalyptic Mad Max Ashley Williams fighting the Deadites out here. I feel like that would have been an interesting, weird, stupid fourth movie to plop this character down into. And that's not what Ash vs. Evil Dead is, then, I take it. No, I mean, again, I've only, I only saw, like, maybe four or five episodes in the first season, but it's straight up, like, it's him and, like, two people that work at the S-Mart that he works at are, like, getting into Evil Dead stuff. Oh, that's fun. Like, I like he, that. He's the old guy still working at S-Mart, and they're like, get a load of this loser, but he's still, like, a suave dude, you know, because he's Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I mean, sure, Bruce Campbell never lost... You know, he might look a little bit different than he did in the 80s, but he never lost being Bruce Campbell, and I think that's the important thing. Absolutely. I mean, he's so charming in the multiverse of madness as that hot dog salesman. <laughs> I, I will stand by it. I'm sorry, what did you just call the Pizza Papa? Oh, sorry, the Pizza Papa always gets paid, and I shouldn't forget that. You really shouldn't, but <laughs> uh, I have wondered, Seamus, for years and years... Or at least not even wondered. I thought I knew how this movie would open. And it does not open even a little bit the way I thought that it would. Because, honestly, this has so little in common with what the Evil Dead <laughs> 2 cliffhanger is. 
Sure, I mean, by the end of the movie, they're all saying hail and putting their spears in the air, and he's got the chainsaw hand, and he's cutting up the flying evil deadites. But Hell yeah. I mean, like, this is so... Co- like, he gets captured immediately, yeah, and he, sure, the car is there, and that's fun. And... He, it is a very goofy little, like, I bet you're wondering how I ended up as a medieval slave. Hi, I'm <laughs> Ashley Williams. But also, I don't think this movie... If you're gonna have Ash get captured, you can't... It's it's tricky, because you kind of have to do it as a flashback to Evil Dead 2, because if it just started with the end of Evil Dead 2... It, like, if you watched... Assuming somebody's going into Army of Darkness... A movie that does not have a three in the title or anything like that. Right. Having not seen Evil Dead 2. Imagine if you watched ten minutes of a horror movie and then you watched Army of Darkness. <laughs> I, I feel like doing it as a flashback makes a lot more sense. I think it would as well, but they had some kind of vision for Army of Darkness and they, they really went for it. I don't dislike Army of Darkness as stupid and goofy as it is. I mean, I I hate that I laughed at little baby tiny mini... Ashley Williams. But those are so they're funny. They're really funny. It sucks that they're so funny because it, it goes on for like so long for some reason, I feel like, but it, it's really funny. My big takeaway, I think, from, from Army of Darkness is that I wish Raimi did a more straightforward, high-budget fantasy adventure film because there is such great visual storytelling in this. There's great sword choreography, adventure choreography. When mm-hmm. he when he cuts down the counterweight and he rides the rope up to the top of the wall and there's so the the pit escape is almost entirely just good visual action storytelling absolutely yeah that the slave execution pit with maybe the one and only blood geyser in army of darkness they like yeah, push the I one guy so. in first and it's like insane amount of blood and then never again i feel like they were they were drowning Bruce Campbell in those other movies with blood. There there are moments <laughs> literally where you can hear Bruce Campbell like be like, "Oh god, like he like he as an actor is done <laughs> with the amount of blood they were spraying on him in that shot." He he talks about how Raimi really genuinely enjoyed torturing him <laughs> making these movies, and I believe that because he tortures him a lot. And Army of Darkness, weirdly, he gets the least, not just with blood geysers, but they just don't put him through the physical ringer as much in this movie as they do in other films. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, character-wise, he's, like, slamming his head on, like, chimneys and burning his face on stoves, but he's not doing, as, like he, like I said before, he gets thrown down those cellar stairs in The Evil Dead 2, like, head first in, in that one shot. It is, it's a lot. He's also, like, basically if Johnny Bravo were an <laughs> action star. That's exactly what it is. He's got so many weird one-liners in this that are so much more out of character. We already mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about Evil Dead 2, but they're just turned up to 11. I mean, come to Papa, hail to the king, <laughs> well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants, give me some sugar, baby. Yeah, it is a lot. I, I, I mean, I loved every single one of them, but man, it's like, <laughs> you're in a bad spot, guy. You are out of time and fighting the same evil threat. Like, you just have these locked and loaded? What the hell? Also, I think it's an interesting angle that, well, of course, this old civilization 
is just used to the Deadites, and they just know what's going on with Necromicon and stuff. It's not hidden away somewhere in a cabin where you're completely helpless. They're like, oh yeah, no, the Deadites, we keep them in the traitor pit. Yeah, let's go over here and check it out. Yeah, they they really, insta- I feel like they should have leaned into the angle more of like, the savior from the sky, he'll know exactly what to do, but they kind of just like, they give him very little instruction and he gets messed up there. I feel like he should have been a little more of the arbiter of how messed up those... I mean, I guess he forgets the words and he, you know, messes around with the three Necronomicons. That word bit? I... No. I don't think... No? That... Okay, I don't know if you, um... I don't know, maybe you've just seen this so many times that it didn't even enter your mind. The sheer horror as he was like an N-word. Hmm... What N-word could this possibly be? Looking around to see if anybody else is around as I'm about to say an N- Like, I was just like, please don't do this. straight up didn't even clock for me. I was just like, oh, he's a silly boy. He's got a- he's fumbling this magic words. I straight up did not even catch that. I don't know if that's an intentional joke or not- if you can even call that a joke, but I was- I was scared. <laughs> I was like, I was like, please don't go where I'm so afraid that this is going to go. But then it ends up in a pretty funny bit where he's just like mumbling the last word, yeah, where, like like trying to s- pull a fast one on magic. I don't know. I-, I thought that was a good resolution there. I like him fighting the books like they're the monster book of monsters from. <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter 3. And um, he, he gets his Beetlejuice face uh, moment there with the first really book, does. which is fun. The one thing I, I I do want to come back to on Army of Darkness, and I think I'm pretty much wrapped up on, on Army of Darkness thoughts. I really like the whole Richard and Arthur subplot, where Ash lets Richard go at the beginning, and then Richard brings his army back to fight yeah. the Deadites, and that's cool. And th- the idea that if Arthur had just killed Richard, that his civilization would have been doomed, and then they hug and become bros at the end. I'm just, I like it's stupid, but I like it. I'm into Honestly, it. Honestly, I like it too, though. I, I, I would have even asked for more of that interaction in this movie with the weirdest. I mean, they ride through the Southern California desert, obviously, for a while there. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like I would have appreciated more of that weird subplot that comes together. Because they, they, like, stand off with each other, and then they come to the middle and hug. And I was like, damn, this is great. I I couldn't really care about the lady love interest in this one, who they have the steamy... Top Gun style silhouette love making scene yeah. in the middle of it, and I don't know. I mean, could have I th- replaced it. I think my big takeaway is I wish she just died at the end instead of coming yeah. back magically. I mean, I know that we know Deadites can do that because obviously that's something Ash has done multiple times himself, but. I kind of wish she just stayed a Deadite. Yeah, me too. This movie, for as much as I like it, it has weird problems that, hey, if they ever made an Army of Darkness 2 where they do the same thing and they just, like, redo the Army of Darkness but make it better, I would have been there for that. I think to wrap things up, I love all three of these movies. One of them is markedly better than the other two evil dead 2 there's just nothing like it on earth i mean i guess there's technically nothing like army of darkness either really (laughs) but i i hear what you're saying i i really want to own these on 4k or blu-ray in a little box set a little necronomicon box set would be nice uh but evil dead 2 incredible one of the best movies i have ever seen it is a delight to watch 
I'll watch it forever. That'll be the top of my list. I'll, I'll slowly chip away at that being my most watched Evil Dead after I catch up with these new remakes and stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to, to get more into the extended Evil Dead universe because truly, until I was prepping for the show, I had never seen anything but those first two, and now I'm I'm ready to really start getting into the the remakes like you said and even the show but what do you say we move on over to the reference this week please more evil dead for me (laughs) for today's pop culture reference we're going to be talking about the sam raimi car one of the most prevalent easter eggs that can be found in almost every single sam raimi film is the inclusion of quote the classic an oldsmobile delta 88 Raimi's father bought the car in 1973, and later passed it on to his son in time to be driven by Ash Williams in Sam Raimi's directorial debut, The Evil Dead, in 1981. This legendary car can be seen in all three original Evil Dead movies, Raimi's three Spider-Man films, Darkman, Drag Me to Hell, The Gift, and his most recent blockbuster, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The Quick and the Dead is Raimi's western period piece, but the Delta 88 still appears in secret as it was used to create a covered wagon to fit the film. Though Raimi did not direct the 2013 remake of The Evil Dead, director Fed Alvarez still included the classic to honor producers Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and their mutual commitment to this decades-long reference. I always love watching a new Sam Raimi and trying to figure out where the car is going to (laughs) be. Sometimes it's pretty prominent. I mean, Evil Dead... Uh, All three Evil Dead movies, I was going to say Evil Dead 2 specifically, but all three of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's right there. It's a little bit boring in the Spider-Man movies. It's just Aunt Aunt May's car, but it's still fun. And I mean, I actually even missed the classic in Multiverse of Madness when I first watched it with you. It's really on screen for like a second. It's getting like thrown through the air, I think. Yep. And I mean, I was looking for it, I guess, because I, I think you and I agree that when we went into Multiverse of Madness, we were looking at it much more as a Sam Raimi movie than mm. being excited about it as a Marvel movie. And exactly. it didn't really work as both, as we've covered on the show at length, but it's still it's a fun time. It's got its pieces in there. It's it, You know, it has its fun horror elements that we can always sip on forever, but I thought Bruce Campbell was going to like pull up in the Delta 88 at some point in that movie, be like, come with me if you want to live with a chainsaw hand or some crazy stuff like that. The Pizza Papa Mobile? I, exactly. I thought it was going to be something like that. But, you know, I, I do, in any inclusion, I do love to see it. I know that that 2013 remake that I just referenced has more than its fair share of OG Evil Dead tie-ins that are more than just the, you know, the reimagining for the remake. So I, I would I would like to sit down with that one and, and clock all of those with you sometime. I think that sounds like a great time, Seamus. But we can't have fun forever. Because <laughs> we have to do our due diligence. We've got to put on our, our very poorly visioned helmets and move on to Mando Bros. Let's do it. Now it's time for Mando Bros, where we break down the last two episodes of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Those are... The Spies was the latest one, and do you remember what the what the, the first one of the ones we're covering was called? The Jack Blacks. The Guns for Hire. Guns for Hire, there, there we go. go. Which, yes. okay, I think we got... Okay, 
just call it spoilers right off the bat in the interest of length for this episode. Here, actually, real quick before we get really, really into spoilers, just for the people who might be on the fence about this season. Uh, Seamus, you were wrong. This is a bad season. You know what, Garrett? I'm defending this season now. <laughs> now now this is going to be a real interesting Mando Bros, I think. Okay. This so, is... <laughs> uh, if you, if you, it, it's still spoiler warning, so we're into it. Come at me. Go what you, what you got. I I did not dislike the weird detective episode of The Mandalorian, the one where they're helping Jack Black and Lizzo with the, with the droid threats on their weird kingdom world. I thought it was fun. I like I you know you know I love to see dro- battle droids and super battle droids in live action. Th- they, there's a weird droid cantina that I didn't hate though I thought it was very strange. I don't know. It was it was a side quest episode that I was not hating, mostly because of all the fun droid stuff. Great foot chase, you know, lumbering after the Boston Dynamics robot that they kicked to the <laughs> ground. I'm lumbering around. I didn't hate it. I, I did not dislike it. I thought it was funny that Lizzo and Grogu are like buddies now because she offered him food. I, I Yeah, I enjoy, you know, Lizzo knighting Grogu is just a novelty Sir, in Sir and of Grogu. itself. Sir Grogu, come on, Sir Grogu. My bigger problem is where it fits in this story as a whole than anything really specifically with the episode, even though I think that it is an ugly, trite, dumb episode. (laughs) I don't disagree, but I still liked it, damn you. I think it's enjoyable for, again, for the novelty of it. I love seeing Christopher Lloyd here. He is having no fun. He's not really having any fun, but (laughs) he's certainly here. (laughs) The Um, fact that he was not some kind of proto-Snoke clone later in this series is a crime. <laughs> um, I do like the joke of him being like, Count Dooku was cut down in his prime. And I was like, was he? Was he, though? Yeah, he's like separatist sympathizer to this day? Chill, man. The war's been over for a while. That's two wars ago. Honestly, I think the bizarre opening was probably my favorite part of like the cool Quarren ship where they have the one... Corin captain suspended in a weird tank that then drains into the floor for her to walk around and apparently the Mon Calamari that she's in love with was played by Tom Holland's little brother which I think what? is fascinating that is very strange yeah I I was a little confused that that's that weird storyline of their royal love just kind of got tossed out the windows there why that scene was in the episode at all is kind of beyond me it's like introducing the other mandalorians but why they're not in this episode so why would you why would you bother doing that they are at the end for an actually i think a very awesome mandalorian on mandalorian fight between bo katan and what's his name oh what's his name yeah that guy who's a mandalorian Yeah. yeah 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 one of the many of those guys now the Harry Potter ass dark saber logic at the very end of this episode. Yeah, very. The dark saber is like. You remember when we saw the dark saber in season one? We saw Moff Gideon cutting himself out of his Tie Fighter, and we flipped out because we're like, "Oh my god, this is very cool and important, and it's a it's a reference to." Clone Wars stuff that feels like it's not like a cheaper reference and now it's just like who wants the Darksaber toss it around it's not as important as I thought the quest to find where it would land is going to be but also it is too important I don't 
I feel like the whole point at the end of last season was being like, it's dumb that you care how you got the dark saber. It's a symbol. It's not. It's not the Elder Wand. A lot of Harry Potter in this episode. We're talking a lot about Harry <laughs> yeah, Potter. yeah. And I do not care. This whole season has been predicated on the dark saber, and I. It doesn't. It doesn't work for me. I don't like. I've made it pretty clear that we're gonna get very into this when we talk about the spies. Mm-hmm. I don't care about any of this Mandalorian garbage. I am so done. This season once again has no direction. It has no cohesion. It technically has a plot, but there's no, there's no drive to it. Our characters aren't engaged, and for this, you know. We're two episodes out from the finale, and they're like, we're just going to do CSI Navarro. <laughs> and I'm like, why? If the Mandalorian were still the A-team in space, that would be one thing. But it's not anymore. They're trying to make it this op- epic, overarching quest for Mandalore, quest for the throne, quest to fight the Empire, heir to the Empire, Ahsoka's here, Luke is here, Grogu is the hope of the Jedi. Like, all this stuff. But they're also trying to be the A-team still. And I just, I just, I hate it, Seamus. It makes me <laughs> mad. It's not Book of Boba Fett or anything, but it just, it drives me crazy. Because, like I said, there are things in this episode that I liked. I think Jack Black and Lizzo being in Star Wars are fun. I like that Din knows how to commune with, with the, with with the, the Ugnaughts. Yeah. Probably my favorite part of that episode. But also just the fact that they're doing like a, like a law and order crime procedural and once again not even bothering to lean into the way things look is really making me frustrated especially because dude watching that recap where they were going all the way back to the first season and showing us stuff this show used to look so good and it looks so (laughs) bad now I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that is that is a shame to, for for us to get the little the the little bit in the recap. They were like, "Oh yeah, this show's dope," and then side side quest that is just like fine looking. I mean, granted, I remember enjoying this episode a lot because I was like, "Yeah, there's like five more episodes to go in the season." They had another one where they're just having a little side quest fun, and then now we're at the finale next week, and and there are more weird episodes that start things that not only don't get resolved. But, like, don't even really... I don't even really mind that they're not getting resolved. Like, there's all the pirate stuff that is now trying to come back around with the pirates on Navarro that I'm like, why are we even trying to reconnect this into the season at this point? And it's, it's very weird. That's how I feel about a lot of the stuff going on this season, where I almost wish that they had just been a better reveal than the weird plant and misdirect that they have been doing like i think we're just are are we ready to cross into the spies i think i know what you're about to say too so go on i hate the stupid grogu mech i hate yeah uh ig12 or whatever i i was way more pumped about it maybe being a babu frick mech for the 10 (laughs) seconds it was that uh because i think that this doesn't make sense for the character really it certainly doesn't make sense for din who is just like going along with this for some reason even though he clearly thinks it's a bad idea in season two the whole arc we've talked about this multiple times over the course of season three where the season two arc was grogu is learning dangerous lessons from din about violence and now we're gonna give him an ig mech that is you know for violence I mean, yeah, he shows that he could use it to like use force in the epi- in the in the spies episode. I guess I think it's funny that he is the no 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 yes yes yes, 
But even the trajectory of the mech in this episode, I feel like there could have been a little bit more storytelling with, like, yes, you know, I agree. Because I, I don't completely hate the mech thing going on here. I, it feels like it's very, it's not different enough from just him hovering around in the baby carriage at this point. He's just kind of, he just has the capability to say yes and no with a button now. Yeah, and the other thing for me is they do the whole bit right when he gets the suit where Mando is like, no, he's too young, he shouldn't have it, da-da-da. And then later they make the decision to go and reclaim Mandalore. And I feel like there should have been a beat in there. Just, it wouldn't have taken very much, and I think it would have fixed a lot of my problems with the storytelling in this episode, where, you know, Din's already said no, he can't have the mech. Like, you know, thanks Carl Weathers, Mm -hmm. I appreciate it, but... We're good. And then coming back mean like, if you're going to go to Mandalore, you're going to need to be able to take care of yourself. And then that is the reason he actually lets Grogu have the mech. Even that little bit of change would have given so much more depth to me and so much more of a reason for there to be the IG mech other than, mm. once again, it just feels like Favreau and Filoni, they want to play with their toys. And it's like, <laughs> what if he had a mech suit that was an IG droid? I mean, you know there's going to eventually be a toy where you can fit a little Grogu into the chest cavity of an IG toy. I mean... I, I, Lego is scrambling right now. Because <laughs> like what you're saying, once they get to Mandalore and they get ambushed by the Mando troopers down there, he like turns to Grogu in the mech suit and he goes, you good? You got to follow us now. Like, keep up. We're in the fight. And it's like mm-hmm. the jump from him being so unokay with it as a whole to and now I'm not even going to like take an active part in you keeping up with this group. You're like, you're good now. Keep it up. Keep up with us. It, it seems like the jump is a little dramatic for one episode. And then that brings us to who the, who they're fighting, which we haven't even talked about, which I think is the big part of the reason that people are so gaga for this episode, which is, of course, the thing that Star Wars has, has learned from Marvel, which is if you do a lore dump with a bunch of cameos, <laughs> people are going to get excited because you have a a clear mention of Thrawn with ties to Moff Gideon, and you have Hux and Captain Pelion, who, I mean, Pelion is a legacy character from Star Wars Legends, fan favorite, mm-hmm. big role in Heir to the Empire, and Thrawn's right-hand man, who is, I think, mentioned and off-screen during the Battle of Lothal in Star Wars Rebels. But I don't think we actually see him, and now, you know, he's here, and he's the stepdad from Terminator 2. <laughs> and the other big one being that they're making sense of the First Order. That Pelion and Hux, a.k.a. Damal Gleason's Hux's dad from... Constable Hux, I think, yeah, or is what they call him. From the sequel trilogy, who, I don't know if you can't, who was playing... Him. I was uh, trying to figure out who that was. Who who played him? That is Damal Gleason's brother, Breen Gleason, <laughs> who That's is also good. Sam Bang himself from from Logan Lucky. Oh my God! Yeah, I for, I for sure didn't recognize him from Logan Lucky. But that is that is very I mean that's good casting. He really looked like him. And and of course they with that cameo, they do mention op project necromancer, which is just like, mm-hmm. all right, at least they're at least they're doing a little something with what we all assumed with the cloning stuff from the first season of The Mandalorian. 
is finally coming back through with what we assumed was Snoke clones. Which is interesting because it is and it isn't because he's like, I don't share your preoccupation for cloning. But then at the end of the episode, Gideon mentions that he's trying to, he's trying, like Pershing brought up, he's trying to do space eugenics. He's trying to build the best version of an ultimate super soldier using Beskar and the Force and all of this other stuff that he's that he's working on there which i just it's insane to me that moff gideon has been essentially the main antagonist of this show for three seasons now full three seasons he he has no character he has no personality he is just an evil guy trying to do empire stuff he's trying to bring back the empire and there's no i don't see any zealous in him i don't see a cause i just see hey we got an intimidating guy to be our main bad guy and he's gonna be evil and menace mando and okay i've got i've got a little rant now okay okay, all right because they have and i'm gonna get like really through the whole episode well lay it on me they have broadened the scale of the mandalorian but they have not truly raised the stakes in any way i am not any more invested in this story than i would be if i didn't know any of the characters whether or not they're bo-katan or mando or moff gideon or grogu first of all gideon himself should have been the one to kill Paz Vizsla at the end of this episode, not mm. the fan service with the, <laughs> the Last Jedi Snow yeah. Royal Guards. Yeah. It's a messier, wider-scoped season that has no threat to the characters or core relationships at the heart of this show. Din and Grogu don't have any real vendetta against Gideon. It's all world-building, posturing, cosplaying, playing with your action figures. And I'm tired because as they bring things back, like the IG droid or all of the little notes from the very beginning of the season that seem like one-off episodes, they don't feel like coming together like they did in previous seasons. They feel hollow and unearned. And to me, there's nothing that the season finale can do to tie together the storytelling that will redeem what the rest of this season has been. Like I said earlier, if they want to be Space A-Team, do that. If you want to be a big epic, do that. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't do both. And this show is trying to do both and failing at both. Yeah, I I, I can agree with that. I feel like the parts that I'm appreciating about about this season specifically, thinking back on them, watching this show week to week and having time to be like, I'm appreciating this episode as it comes out almost on its own and thinking about the parts I actually did really like. There, I like there might be a few things they could do in the finale, for me at least, that it can wrap up, you know, things that I would like in an enjoyable way, but they've just thrown all of this other stuff into the wind that I, I want to have been expanded where we got episodes that, I mean, like, like I said, I like the CSI episode a lot with Jack Black, but it does really nothing. The entire point of so many of these episodes where they're like, well, here's what we're going to do. They say right at the beginning of the episode, here's what we're going to do. And then I think like, okay, this fits into the greater idea of what they've been trying to do in this season. There maybe are going to pull together more things about the Mandalorian clans or even the Darksaber to come back around a little bit. And then it feels like they constantly get sidetracked 
and abandon whatever it is that they like almost sometimes literally say out loud at the beginning of the episodes that they're going to do and then now we're kind of we're kind of here at the end they're throwing in Gideon in person finally we're the whole the the lady imperial spy who who did my boy Pershing totally dirty she's like kind of not doing anything either even though she got a little espionage tweak at the beginning that gave me hope that maybe Pershing or that Pershing episode tone would have been back in any sort of way and it's just kind of not there and it, it I wish it was better I still enjoyed this season but it is about as meandering as it could have gotten without me fully dropping off of this season entirely and and I agree with you that episode to episode there are things that I liked again I agree that the the CSI episode is fun and and different but as a season of tv it doesn't work and i'm a guy you know i'm not anti-filler episode because i know that's the thing that people talk about all the time is i hate all these filler episodes and you know that's what tv is for is to explore corners of a universe and and what characters do in non-sequitorial situations that's why they're not movies or series of movies but when i genuinely don't feel like there's any deepening to these characters or broadening of their horizons or true stakes for them outside of immediate physical danger it's it's very hard for me to stay invested in characters that i genuinely cared about even going through season two a season that i famously on the show had a lot of problems with still at the core there Mm. was that really genuinely emotional moment of grogu saying goodbye to Din and taking off the helmet and the connection between them was at the very heart of that episode's conflict of that season's conflict and I just don't see that this season we talked a lot about how like Bo-Katan could have very well been a much larger kind of main character force in this season and how that would have probably zeroed in on a lot of the meandering problems we had you know give a quest that makes sense have a threat that's not just like maybe some pirates that maybe Moff Gideon kind of hired to harass Navarro or whatever and mm-hmm. they're in that scene specifically where Gideon is is talking some crap about like Thrawn's role in their secret Imperial Shadow Council whatever the hell I thought that was going to be the moment of maybe seeing Gideon outside of that role of the the cold confident angry evil character I say loosely character he's yeah. he is just he's just it's just Juan Carlo Esposito in armor that's what they were going for they're like we you know this guy is evil because you know the actor and how he does his his whole thing and his confidence in that scene I wanted to get checked and for him to actually have to be in the room with all of these other people that have a similar kind of imperial loyalty maybe Thrawn even hearing him say those things about him and, and personally putting him in his place to show that he's more than just a, the, the quote unquote antagonist of the whole season even though he just showed up more or less I think they had a great opportunity to do that at the beginning of the season if they hadn't done this weird time jump and the weird stuff with Book of Boba Fett yeah. where Gideon, sure he's playing Iago, he's playing Gollum with his captors, but it's the only time we've ever seen him really truly not in control. He is scared of Luke Skywalker. He has been captured by the Mandalorians. There is genuine jeopardy and peril for him in a way that mm-hmm. there has never been for that character and that's the most interesting he's ever been and they had an opportunity similar to what you said where 
they had an opportunity with this meeting to really get into what this character is when he's in jeopardy because that's when you learn who characters are and the one thing in this episode that gave me just a little bit of like oh that's actually kind of interesting angle is that he is still hell-bent on completing the purge of mandalore this idea that he is like mm -hmm. truly genocidal and he wasn't just doing it because the empire told him that mandalore was an enemy of the empire he's like no i want all of them dead and i want what is let the the thing that is useful to me from their culture to be mine like it's true like a colonizer mentality and of course they got one line of that and that yeah, was all exactly. they actually got oh man well next week is gonna be an interesting one i i feel like the finales of this show have never really let me down at least in terms of like you know th <laughs> it'll be exciting enough where they're gonna be setting up fun things maybe we'll get one last look at kellerin beck in a flashback somewhere that'll save my soul but you know i'm 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 gonna see how it plays out i am excited for ahsoka probably more than than this at this point but. i can agree with that especially because it's got characters i'm invested in that's the exactly. reason i'm excited about ahsoka is because i'm invested in those characters even if i'm not super invested in ahsoka right now like i said during our news segment but like paz vizsla's sacrifice people all over the internet are like wow how moving i'm like who <laughs> cares i know i because i i was i've been on the fence about that character since he was introduced basically and i like big brute mando design he fights in a real cool way he puts his gatling gun up on like his shoulder or whatever but yeah i i felt like it was an like an unearned moment where they're like look at how bad you should feel this super important mando guy the one the one other mandalorian who you know the name of kinda and, and i just yeah whatever you know i also am very curious to see if the finale actually has an answer to a big question that i have from this episode which who is who are the spies Seamus, who are the spies? <laughs> I mean, there's because... that one spy, the lady spy in the very beginning, and that's but maybe... what does it. she have to do? Like, she's not the name <laughs> of this episode. She's not the namesake of this episode. Is it Charles Parnell and Hot Skinny Pete? Are they spies for Gideon? Is that what they're hinting at? Like, what is the actual spy angle here, and is the finale even going to have an answer to that, or is it just going to be a weird name that lives on? They just threw it up there, and they... they... Yeah thought it would nobody would notice i mean i yeah i was <laughs> expecting like a sudden terrible ter like may maybe even those mando troopers were like x death watch and that could have been some kind of betrayers of, i don't know so yeah I, that'll be interesting to see if they do anything about that they mentioned pershing in this episode but they didn't mention that he was dead so maybe i'm still holding up for him to come back in the finale in some way uh if i would love to watch the pershing show i would love to watch so many shows that aren't whatever this is, and yeah. I'm sad about that. And or season two one day, my friend. One day. But what do you say we go and save the rec center? Please, I would love to. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what's on your docket? I have a show for you this week that just got a revival recently that I'd never even heard about. It's one of the funniest sitcom-style shows I've ever seen. I binged, like, a season and a half with my brothers when I was in Italy because all of the Italian TV was not doing it for me. 2009's Party Down. Have you heard of Party Down, Garrett? I've watched the first season of Party Down so many times and never gotten my past the first man. season. <laughs> my man. 
I fell in love with Party Down. It is some of the funniest TV I never knew existed. I obviously love Adam Scott. Lizzie Kaplan is great. Jane Lynch is an absolute treasure. Ken Marino is the star of Party Down for me. He is the funniest man. He should be in everything. Absolutely phenomenal. I am going to definitely finish out season two. I'm going to get on the new stuff. I I don't know how that's going to be in terms of like time jump. Uh, it, it already has a weird structure in the second season because of how I'm sure you remember the first season ends. But I I am truly a big fan of Party Down, and I hope this new revival season is good. I don't know. I hope it has the same spirit because I feel like I don't see such... It's such a harsh kind of comedy in this show. Oh, it's so mean. It's very... I think it's from some of the people who made It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so it's kind of that similar... Like, every single main character is a huge a-hole, pretty much, except for, like, a handful. But I I love it. I'll love Martin Starr forever and everything, and he's so funny and so bad in this as, like, the hardcore sci-fi writer. It's phenomenal. Are we having fun yet? Are we having fun yet? I ah uh, the the most I get I like cringe harder every time he says it because it's like kind of a sad story for Adam <laughs> Scott's sad. character. He's like I'm resigned to have this terrible job because I'm giving up at forever. It's he's good at a at, at a weird character like that, the character that's given up. But what do you got for me for the rec center? I have kind of a weird one, Seamus. The 2000 sports comedy, The Replacements, starring Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman. I have heard of The Replacements before. What sport is that even? It is football. It's a football movie where all of the players for this NFL team are on strike, so they have to get a team of replacement players, and so it's a scrappy, hilarious ensemble of guys who they could it's it's essentially moneyball but played like really broad hell yeah (laughs) that sounds great though and gene hackman is their coach of course and keanu reeves is the star quarterback but it has it has a fantastic cast of bizarre caricatures as the rest of the football team including orlando jones john favreau who's basically (laughs) just doing an adam sandler hell yeah reese Ephens is in it it's um uh what's his face we just saw him in logan lucky actually logan lucky coming up yet again um from the office the guy from the office oh the guy who plays roy in the office yeah he's a deaf football player and he is terrific in oh hell yeah the replacements but i mean it's not perfect but it's a very of its time fun time with the movies gene hackman and keanu reeves charming charming your socks off romp it's on hbo max right now that sounds that sounds great actually i i am i the two things i binged on my travels in italy were party down and just a weird amalgam of sports movies for some reason so i'm in like a sports movies kick right now and that sounds like a lot of fun well you know i usually i like a sports movie but i'm not usually seeking them out to watch but i really enjoyed this one and i especially don't like football movies i because i especially Mm. don't like football i mean football movies aren't my top of the list either you get you gotta go hockey and basketball and baseball first for sure but that i mean that the cast alone sounds like i would have a really good time and i like the concept you always love the concept of a scrappy 
sports team who's just trying to trying to get to the top the underdogs absolutely and it's a good time it's it's really fun and it's my rec center for this week Seamus well, that's definitely on my. I, I'm gonna go, go put that on before HBO Max turns into just Max and, and everything is shuffled <laughs> around. And so I, I've got a, I've got a ticking clock. But that wraps us up for the show this week. If you want to reach us on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you want to reach the show directly, you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to be having regular guest star Rocky <laughs> Kari on the show yet again, our in-resident <laughs> Star Wars boy. Not that we aren't our own in-resident <laughs> Star Wars boys. It's it's the three-timers club. We're going to get him a sport jacket. <laughs> is it the three or the four-timer? This, this is, is like this our... Is the third time our longest running returning guest we've never had a returning guest actually other than rocky and now he's going to be on for a third episode before anybody else has even gotten on their second episode but we're going to be talking about jedi fallen order in honor of the new jedi survivor game coming out so i've got it re-downloaded on my ps5 right now i'm excited to jump back play a little bit more of that game and come back next week and talk about it i cannot wait that is going to be one hell of a star wars time with that and the Mando finale so it's going to be it's going to be nerd central over here and it's going to be great I am looking forward to it and we will see you next week hail to the king amigos